Welcome to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. I'm Christine Grimmett, and I'm again joined by our international program specialist, Helen Fell, for another one of our World Perspectives episodes as we learn more about different cultures and understand how each worldview impacts decisions on life and abortion. Before I turn things over to Ellen and have her introduce our guest, let me mention an opportunity for listeners who work in Pregnancy Help Ministries to join us for Heartbeat International's annual conference in April in Kentucky. Now we're again hosting in-person and online. That's two conferences happening simultaneously. As you can imagine, this is an opportunity for lots of training from workshops by experts in the Pregnancy Help Movement. We'll have people joining us from around the world for keynote sessions, in-depth training sessions, workshops, and so much more. Learn more and register at heartbeatservices.org. Well, hello, Heartbeat friends. This is Ellen Fell, Heartbeat's International Program Specialist. I get to oversee relationships with um, our international affiliates and serve them on behalf of Heartbeat. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce an interview and your pleasure to hear from Svetlana Jovanova, who is the director, the founder and director of Lydia, a beating heart, which is the only pregnancy help center in Macedonia. Now, Svetlana, just for people who are not as geopolitically astute as you are, can you tell us where Macedonia even is? Well, except that you can find it in the Bible, in the Acts. Right. <laughs> um, Macedonia is located in the southeastern part of, of Europe. It's a landlocked country, neighboring Greece in the south, Albania in the west, uh, Serbia and Kosovo in the north, and Bulgaria in east. Oh, and so you are also describing a uh, part of the world that is known as the Balkans, correct? Yes. And what are the other countries in the Balkans, just so we can educate everyone on their geography today? Well, uh, so um, Greece, portion of Turkey, up to the um, European part of Istanbul, uh, par- partially Romania, Serbia, Montenegro, Bosnia, Croatia, and Slovenia. Okay. Including Macedonia, Kosovo, Serbia, and Albania and Greece. Okay. And um, Svetlana, you are also a, uh, a leader of uh, the Balkan Network. And tell us a little bit about the Balkan Network before we get into the rest of this interview. <laughs> uh, the idea for, for the Balkan Network came several years ago. Mm-hmm. And we are so close to register it officially. We are still unofficial, unofficial network of all the pregnancy uh, center uh, care centers in, in the Balkans, I mean, in former Yugoslavia. So for a while, we were calling ourselves XU for Life, but we are expanding now, um, getting, uh, getting under the same umbrella of the other Balkan countries like Albania, Greece, and Romania. That's terrific. That's great. Okay, so... Um... I want to thank you for your willingness to participate in our series of podcasts. And as I was putting this series together in my head, uh, I had just been with you in Bosnia. That was in June. And then I was with you in uh, Romania and then again in Macedonia. 
But my, my point is that in, in the course of those uh, several engagements with you and with other people in Eastern Europe, I was beginning to realize that perhaps part of our worldview perspective had to include a podcast on the impact of communism. And communism uh, had its uh, strongest impact uh, um, really for, what, 70 years, a long time. Uh, tell us a little bit, uh, just for background's sake, about communism in the XU countries. Well, the communi communism started somewhere in the late 20s, early 30s uh, of the 20th century, uh, mostly as a partisan movement in, in Europe, and then with the forming of the Communist Party all around uh, the globe, uh, and especially with, uh, with the, you know, the Second World War, basically all the partisans were, uh, that were fighting against, uh, well, Yugoslavia was mostly under the German and Italian occupation. So they would be forming groups that later on will join the, the Communist Party. The leader of, of that group was uh, Josip Broz Tito, who uh, later on, after the end of the Second World War, he became the president of um, the Social Federative Republic of Yugoslavia. And then uh, that was a joint federation of um, several countries, including uh, Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Montenegro, Serbia, and Macedonia, and with two independent um, areas, Kosovo and Vojvodina. So um, Tito was, you know, he was a communist leader, but he was different than the rest of the communist leaders in, in Europe and, you know, even from China and Cuba. I think he was very, very moderate. I mean, still, he would deal with his opponents, people who wouldn't think um, like him, who wouldn't agree with his politics, but still he was um, investing a lot in, in the country. I mean, Yugoslavia, um, as, a, as a communist uh, federation, didn't even want to be part or, of NATO, or the other uh, communist uh, countries. So he started a pact called like um, who are not attached, like countries who are not attached to any other of those, those called like mission pacts that were, that were forming. So he, he was a wise guy. I mean, if you um, ask some, even some of the older generation in, uh, in former Yugoslavia, People would tell you, like, it was much, much better to live in Yugoslavia when Tito was alive than to live now in the capitalism. Because he would invest even in rural areas, he would invest in uh, bigger cities, he would invest in factories. People were having just enough money, they could have traveled easily. So, and even like the Yugoslavian passport was like one of the strong the, the strongest five passports in in mm -hmm. the world mm -hmm. so you can travel everywhere without any any problem so when communism started falling apart you can just imagine the shock that people people got 
Now, um, Svetlana, for those who don't know you, you are much too young to have literally grown up under communism. Um, but I know as well that you did have some of the uh, impact of communism. And in fact, you also, you, you are old enough to remember the war that took place in Bosnia in what, 30, 35 years ago, after the uh, Yugoslavia fell apart, disbanded. But what I want to ask you about is, uh, in spite of the fact that Tito had some financial uh, um, parts of his, of his regime that weren't that terrible, let me ask you, for communists, what is the, the prime reality in the communist worldview? So for in, in Christianity, the primary value reality is God, who God is and how he relates to us. In communism, what is the prime reality? To live in the present and to live for yourself, but at the same time sharing with the others. Wow. So in, in former Yugoslavia, there is a highway that starts in Slovenia and ends in Macedonia. The name of the highway, it was uh, uh, Brotherhood and Unity. Mm. And it was built by all, um, by the youth of, of Yugoslavia that would go and, you know, youth from Macedonia would go to build a road in, in Croatia and vice versa. And that's why there were so many during, you know, like 60s, 70s, and even part of the 80s, there were so many mixed marriages between nationalities in, in Yugoslavia because they will, they will meet each other, you know, become couples during those, they called like work actions mm -hmm. uh, that, were, that were happening. But at the same time, like um, they, they were even divided like in um, like wealth groups the rich, the middle class, and the very, very poor. Although, like, you could see what was the, the middle class, but still people wanted to, to share. Still people had just enough. And, you know, they, um, they wanted, you know, to take care of themselves, of their family, which it, it wasn't a large family. That was another thing that was, during the communism, one or two children would be would be enough, uh, especially in the in the larger cities. That wasn't the case in the in the villages in rural areas where they would have um, multiple children because they would need work hands uh, eventually. But you know, in the larger cities, that was um, that was something that was even emphasized. That like one or two children is is enough. Well, let me let so, me stop you for just a minute, which I do frequently in our conversations. So uh, we know that China, which is a, a country still living under communism, had a one child policy and now they have a slightly modified uh, one child policy. Was there an actual policy against uh, more than two children or or lim or limiting families in the, the size in Let's let's just talk about uh, Yugoslavia. There wasn't an actual policy, but it was encouraged. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So uh, I guess my question then is, it, it's kind of like, you know, uh, 
well, we encourage people to have one car uh, or two cars. Uh, we encourage people to have two children or maybe one. How is a human being? It's, it's not like a human being is a commodity. So how, what is the view on, in communism of a human being? Well, the, the human being was a sea, like it wasn't a life before the birth. Mm. So the, the person would have a value, you know, like um, after it's been born. Mm. And especially if it's a boy. In some of the countries, you, uh, former Yugoslavian countries, the gender selection was so big that even if it was, you know, it wasn't, you know, one or two children still, like they would do gender selection. And if it's not a boy, it wouldn't see the, uh, the light of the day. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Or, or like, especially in rural areas, the woman would have as many children till she gets a boy. And then they will stop. So they can be 10, 15 girls in the family. And she will continue to give birth till an heir to the family is born. So this is related, but a little tangential. So what is the view under communism of women? Well, see, you know, I think they were kind of like two different um, views for women. Uh, even during the Second World War, there were so many women who were revolutionaries, uh, freedom fighters. Um, we've learned uh, in history uh, about, about them. But they're, almost all of them were single women. So they're not married. They, don't, they wouldn't have any children. They, they wouldn't, you know, even later on in life, they wouldn't marry. So as individual, yes, she was capable to do many changes. But at the same time, when the governments were formed, there will be even less than 0.01% of women included in the, mm-hmm. uh, in the leadership of, of the country or in, in the institutions. So the woman was like seen as a housewife, um, as someone who gives birth to children and and that's it not exactly as as an equal to to the men mm-hmm. unless she proves herself in the communist party in that case yes she can be she can, even even in those cases you know for for those women it was very hard to to reach a certain level of of leadership but for other women you know basically housewife housewife the only good thing i think was like it was you know women were allowed to be educated so they would go to schools they would go to universities if their fathers will allow which in some cases that you know um the fathers wouldn't allow for the women to go to to school to get higher education than high school which was mandatory so anything after high school, they had to be either really, really smart or the father to be very, um, not conservative, but very proactive. Mm. In, <laughs> so to, to allow them to, 
to go to, to university. And I'm speaking this from uh, my mom's experience. She was one of those, uh, those cases where, you know, my grandfather, you know, high school was enough. So when she wanted to go, even for high school was a problem. Uh, and when it was time to go to university, I, my mom was telling me that like many people will come, would come to beg my grandfather to let her go to study because she was smart. But for him, like, no, she needs to stay home and help around the house and eventually get married. And that's it. So that was the case for many, many women during communism. So we know that communism is not a faith. It's not a religion. It is a worldview. And it's, it's actually a, an economic worldview mm-hmm. uh, that has implications, obviously, in the culture. And it has implications in every other way, sociologically, politically. So I asked you before, how is a, what is a human being? I think I asked you that on, in, in communism. Let me ask you differently that same question. What is the value under communism of a human being? I wouldn't say that there wasn't even a, uh, any value. People were, were seen as uh, someone who would work in factories. Producers. Producers, yes. Someone who would um, work on the fields. Mm-hmm. Someone who would pay taxes and all, and all that. So they weren't seen as uh, potential life changers. So this comes to the nub of our question. Uh, of the the reason for the podcast, which is, so how does that, let's say, you know, speaking from your mom's generation, how does that value of life being basically consumer-oriented or production-oriented, utilitarian, how does that impact the view on life, the view on abortion? Yeah, that's, that's my question. People are expendable. So if you cannot work in the factory, always there'll be a someone else who will come on your place. Mm-hmm. People would disappear during night. There is an island called um, Goliotok, and um, uh, literally means kind of like the dead island. Uh, well, the naked island, because there is no vegetation, only rocks. Mm-hmm but it was the most infamous prison in the entire Yugoslavia for political prisoners. And if someone ends up there, it's most likely that he won't come back home. And families wouldn't even know what happened to the father, the grandfather, mm-hmm. the son, because they will disappear without any, any trace. Abortion became legal in 1972. But it was performed long before that, mm-hmm. illegally. Yep. And according to some statistics, now it will be women over, let's say, 50 or 55. According to some statistics, every other woman over the age of 50 or 55 would have at least one abortion in her lifetime. Mm-hmm. And during our work, we've met a woman who had 22 abortions. Mm-hmm. And she's now in her probably 60s. Mm-hmm. 
So she was born and raised during communism. She gave birth to her two children during the communism. And she had the rest of the 22 aborted during the communism. Because that's what people were telling, you know. Still, it was a family secret, but women were doing it. And it, it, it was encouraged by, by the family. Why, why would it be encouraged by the family? Because one or two children is enough. And if you want to live a comfortable life, then why do you need more? Mm-hmm. Especially if it's a boy and a girl. You have the perfect pair. Right. So you don't, you don't need more than, more than that. You will, you will have an heir to, to the household, to continue the, the legacy, to continue the family name. So tell me how right now, what I'm interested in is how do you reach that woman who is 62? I, I mean, you and I were just at a conference and we, we met women who had had multiple abortions and and as you say double digits how do, how do those women come to you and what do you how do you help them and do they want help see you know you you have kind of like a two types of women women who think that they didn't do anything wrong and women who regret regret every single abortion that they they had even if it was just one, mm-hmm. but for the others, it's like, because as I said, it was a family secret. Like after it was done, no one would talk about it. So the women would learn how not to feel, how, you know, even if they would start feeling sad, you know, depression, it wasn't something that we, it was common. I mean, women were depressed, but it wasn't called depression. It was like, oh, she's not feeling well. She will get better tomorrow. But they they learned how how not to feel. Mm-hmm. How how to be robots without any any feelings. And you know, growing up and even talking with many people from my generation, um, expressing love it wasn't something that was common in the family. To tell your child that you love love him or love her, it wasn't something that it was done during communism. Emotions weren't validated. Feelings, it was for weak people. So does that have impact on the generation now in the way that they look at abortion, the way that they look at the value of a baby they might be carrying in utero does that that lack of emotion and that the the generations of family secrecy does does that impact the way that does it impact the women who come to you and how does it impact the way that you counsel those women of course it impacts them i mean we've had women who say oh my mom had an abortion she was okay my grandmother had an abortion. She was okay. Really? Was she okay? Were they okay? They, they didn't talk about it. They, they wouldn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. They would just say, oh, yeah, you can have an abortion. There is no big deal. Mm-hmm. But that was it. And now, you know, and it's kind of like even generational curse. If, if you go back, you will see that 
almost every single woman in that family had an abortion. Mm -hmm. And it goes with generations. It would go from the grandmother to the mother to the daughter, maybe even to the granddaughter. Till someone say, it's enough. I'm breaking the cycle. And for these women, it was interesting, like during COVID, when we were locked down, uh, we've had many women who had abortions in the past that would call because now it was the time when the feelings started to appear again, because for so long, they, they weren't allowing themselves to feel anything. They will just submit the feelings or, or the thoughts. but. When we were in lockdown, you know, and social distance, there's nothing else that you can do except for reflect on the past and think, what what have I done? Especially for women, you know, um, there were so many, and still there are so many Macedonians living in the country. In some smaller cities, only the older generation is left. Mm-hmm. So you can just imagine the thoughts those women were having, like only if I didn't abort that child, maybe that child would have been now with me. Mm. Or only if I didn't abort that child, that child now would be here to help me mm-hmm. instead of being somewhere in Europe or mm-hmm. in, the, in the States and forgetting that there is a, there, his mom is right here waiting. So those emotions were now out in the in the open, and I think our oldest client was an 86 year old woman who had an abortion, and according to her age, probably it was illegal abortion when she had it. She regretted it. She needed forgiveness. She needed redemption. She needed someone to tell her that she's allowed to grieve the lost child because those women it's not just they don't allow themselves to feel they don't allow themselves to grieve because they did intentionally that is pretty powerful tell me um can you tell me what what happened with this um the 86 year old woman who who found her did she find her way to lydia Yes, actually, she did. She did. She was from from Stip, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know where is she now. This was several years ago, um, but um, someone told her that it's okay to grieve mm-hmm. that child, and that there is forgiveness, that God forgives her, and now it's time for her to forgive herself. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the hardest part for her, to forgive herself. And for for many women, even Christian women, you know, that mindset, God can forgive any sin that I've committed in my life, except the abortion that I had. And I've heard that so many times in, in the past 10 years from so many women, women who are devoted Christians, that they cannot be sure if God can forgive them the the abortion that they had in in their past. Mm -hmm. And for for us, you know, it's it's not like just to help them grieve, but 
you know, at the same time is to be able to open their hearts to God, that small room in their hearts, they keep it closed, locked for so long to be open and to to let the light to, to come in and to experience the full forgiveness that they have in, in God. Because for so long, they were taught, you know, they cannot, cannot do anything right. Mm. That, okay, you already, you already have two children. That's enough. You don't need more. You are not allowed to grieve. You are not allowed to feel. You're allowed to go to work from seven till three, go back home, take care of your family. The next day, the same. And the next day and the next day till the end of the life. So this is, this is really a very bleak uh, society, frankly, that you paint. Um, yeah, very bleak. Uh, let me ask you, uh, just in closing, communism has now not been the rule of the land for 35 years. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, the Yugoslavia started to fall apart in 1990. Okay. And, you know, I'm not a math person, but that's, uh, that's what, 33 years ago. Yeah. Okay. 33 years of communism. But like any worldview, it seeps generationally into the next generation. And so how do you see the effects of communism still permeating into the psyche and the, 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 the minds of the women that you serve in Macedonia? You know, it will take several generations till the, that mindset is, is changed because we still have people, uh, living people who grew up in, in Yugoslavia, uh, who were born in the 40s, 50s. 60s, even 70s, you know, and it will, and they, they still keep the same mindset or very close to as it was. So it will take several generations for, for that to, to, to be gone. Um, it's, you know, I think one of the benefits from the communism, the socialism, was it was family oriented. It was a family oriented society. It was like the father is the head of the house. The mother is the, the father is the provider. The mother is the protector and the keeper of, of the family and for, for everything else. And I'm, I'm happy that we still have that kind of mindset, you know, family-oriented. We need to be close to our family. But at the same time, as it was good, you know, it's, it was even bad, you know. Women weren't allowed to decide for themselves, you know. <laughs> Men would decide for instead of them. And it would it would take... A lot of courage for many women to to change that. As I said, like for my mom to go to university to study, or um, I mean, I was told my grandmother, uh, my grandfather, when I 
uh, told my grandfather that I will go to university. I will move to a different city, to a bigger city, that I will move to Skopje. My grandfather told me, like, why? You should stay here, get a job, and get married. And I'm like, uh, no. And I'm the, the only girl in my family. Mm-hmm. There are three other boys in my family. So I'm the only girl and the oldest. So for, for me to go against my grandfather, I mean, it was like, no. <laughs> he was still the head of the family. Mm-hmm. Although my, my, ma- my father and my uncle, both of them were married with, with their own families. Still, it was my grandfather would call the shots sometimes so for me to say sorry grandpa i am moving (laughs) i'm going to university and i'm moving to a different city so sometimes you know it's hard for for people to to break that cycle and to to say no to to that mind mindset but i think being now living in a different society if uh, we went through transition for 10, 15 years as a, as a country where after Yugoslavia pulled apart, people were without jobs, people were losing their homes. They would, you know, begging for food, waiting in lines to buy um, milk and, and bread and flour, you know. So just living even um, those 15 years after the communism pulled apart, it changed many many of people and now they see okay maybe communism was good because everything was provided for for the families but it was like a big balloon that just popped up and that's it Mm -hmm. nothing was left all right here's the sixty-four thousand dollar question with inflation let's make it seventy-nine thousand. what do you see as the unique role that a Lydia has in transforming a culture where life is valued only for what it can produce or consume and where the human being's value is, is essentially you. From a scene from a utilitarian viewpoint, what is the unique role that not just any pregnancy help center, but Lydia in Macedonia has to combat the the impact of two and a half generations of communism? They were, and I'm sure there will be many more women who realized it's okay to have a third child. It's okay to have even a fourth child or fifth and sixth if it's in case of, um, you know, twins. (laughs) But for, you know, when there's like, but what the neighbors will say, what, you know, my family will say, what the relatives will say if I have, you know, especially if they're over 35 or close to 40. You know, it's okay to have another child, even if you're 40, even if your oldest child is 20. We, we've had several situations like that when a woman in her 
early 40s would, would find herself pregnant. And her oldest child is already in, in college. And just to tell her, it's okay. You can still be his mom. And you can be still be the mom of this life in that is growing in, inside of you. Just to open their eyes to see, like, yes, I can I can do this. And it's not shameful. And it's not embarrassing. And I don't care what the others will, will say. And at the same time, to tell even to that 86-year-old woman that it's okay to grieve the abortion that she had. Hmm. And she, can, she will be forgiven. It's okay to tell women, to tell women it's okay to feel. It's okay to... Um, experience emotions it's okay to um, it's okay to stand up against your husband who is pressuring you to have an abortion and to say no this is my choice my decision i'm keeping this baby does that happen oh yes oh yes well even more often than we we would like to happen but it does. Mm -hmm. So just to empower the women to make healthy choices for their pregnancies, that's the unique role of, of Lydia in Macedonia. And only takes one woman at a time to change the course of the history. Well, that is a great note to actually end on. You also are a uh young woman who is changing history, not just in Macedonia. You know, Svetlana, that I greatly appreciate you and our friendship, and I greatly value what you and uh, Alexandra are currently doing in Macedonia to speak life, to share life in a post-communist country. Thank you. You're welcome. So um, if you had one thing you could say, if I give you one thing you can say to women who are working in centers in non-communist countries, but they have a woman from a communist country, let's say a woman who is, oh, 30, 32, whatever, uh, from Macedonia, has raised, been raised her whole life in Macedonia, and she suddenly, boom, in the center in, in Columbus, Ohio, in an unexpected pregnancy. What advice can you give to that consultant, that pregnancy consultant sitting across the table or next to that young imaginary woman from Macedonia? I would just say, you will be an amazing mother. And it's most likely that there is a history of abortions in the family. I would say it's time to, to break the curse and to give life and to choose life. Mm. You know, for, for us, America is the land of opportunities. It's the promised land. So I would even, even use that. You have many more available resources there than we have here. 
and greater support that they may find here. Well, Svetlana, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure and eye-opening to uh, talk with you for our audience. We were having all sorts of conversations before the, uh, it started getting recorded that were fascinating as well. But uh, thank you for the insights that you've provided for us. It's been a pleasure to, uh, to hear from you. And uh, I'm sure that this will be a blessing to women as they, um, as they have the opportunity to use these things that you've said as they consult with other women who are in unexpected pregnancies. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thanks, Ellen. If any of our listeners have missed our previous episodes with Ellen on the World Perspectives, just scroll back a little bit and find those episodes titled World Perspectives and uh, subscribe so that you don't miss out on any of our future episodes. Let me just take a moment to those who have subscribed or given us a rating or shared an episode with a friend. Thank you. You are helping us spread the word about the work of the pregnancy help movement. You are uh, bringing information to those who may not have known anything about what we've talked about in an episode. So thank you uh, for listening and subscribing and supporting us. And uh, we'll have more coming your way soon.